0: Welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Welcome, everybody, back to Teaching Tax Flow, the podcast, episode 10. Here we are, double digits, almost the end of the year, exciting times, right? Exciting times. Um, I'm John Drapolsky here on the Teaching Tax Flow team. Standing to my right here is the fabulous... Chris Pacuro, CPA, and
1: all the acronyms. We're not going to go into that whole thing again. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing wonderful. Happy holidays. Excited to talk about part three of our four-part series, Favorite Year-End Tax Strategies, for each of our four color-coded diagnoses. And today we're talking about Barney. Oh, I mean purple. We're talking about purple. Last, last week was Spartan
0: Green, mm-hmm. before that was red. So red being the 25% or higher Marginal tax rate. So that MTR, that acronym we say all so much. Green being the 20% or lower. And now purple. Tell Chris, tell me a little bit about purple, right? It, it's highly utilized. It's used a lot. I wouldn't say the most, but it's used a lot. Um, give us a little rundown on what that is.
1: I would say the purple diagnosis is used by the vast majority of taxpayers. It Purple is my favorite color, by the way. Fun fact. Oh, I did not know that. Not on I tab- really
0: thought it was green.
1: Shout out to my deal cell pilots. We okay. got purple, you know, pr- both purple and gold in our color-coded diagnoses, but that's all right. We need a clear. What about a clear diagnosis? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that would be
0: like for a ghost or something. That's but, like you know, saying, that's like saying a CPA has a crystal ball. We obviously know we know a crystal ball in the real mm-hmm. estate room in Panama City, but you don't have one related to everything.
1: Text. I wish I did. Episode 10, double digits, purple diagnosis. Purple stands for tax deferral. And that means that a taxpayer could benefit from tax deferral. I would say that purple is probably the, purple and red are both used way too much in my opinion. We have that four step process where we first run a tax projection, then step one, diagnose using color-coded diagnoses, two, prescribe three IQ tests for implement. That's teaching tax flow, part of teaching tax flow 101. A lot of people identify themselves as a purple diagnosis without even knowing it. They probably don't even know what purple diagnosis is. And they probably don't have a high enough marginal tax rate to substantiate what we call purple diagnosis.
0: I'm going to assume they don't know what it is because it took you all 20 years to come up with it, right? (laughs) That's true. That is
1: true. (laughs) So purple who's the ideal marginal tax rate for purple diagnosis? There really isn't a number. We talked about red, 25% or higher marginal tax rate, green, 20% or lower. But for purple, this is when purple would make sense. When your current marginal tax rate is much higher than your expected future marginal tax rate. Okay. So if your current marginal tax rate is... Now, you said we don't have a crystal ball, but we we don't know exactly where tax rates are going to go. That's a different episode. So really, this is somebody getting a, a temp check. On themselves
0: say this year, and they're like, wow, you know, this this year I'm 28%, just making numbers up. I'm 28%, a lot higher than usual. Next year is definitely, or I'm very confident it's going to be less.
1: This might be very perfect. confident, but tax deferral typically means that the in that that the, the tax is not paid currently, and that, but the growth of those assets are going to be taxed at a higher rate. So purple's not bad. It's just way overused, in my opinion. Um, but that's why we're educating. That's why we appreciate all of our listeners. Giving us a little bit of time and an open mind to figure out, are you a purple diagnosis?
0: Excellent. Excellent. And, and on that note, too, I mean, kind of following the, a little bit of the structure that we do have on these casual, fantastic conversations. Um, let's talk about y'all's favorite. So it, I know it's hard to pick favorites. You know we don't want to we don't want to play the card too much, but I, I'm I'm positive there's almost one in there, one or two, maybe three. I think there's only three we use. So mm-hmm. so hit hit us with the highlights. If you had to pick one, what would Correct. that be?
1: Well, I'm going to preface this by saying we're talking about year-end tax planning uh, strategies, tax planning prescriptions. So any of the prescriptions that are typically done after the end of the year, as we've talked about before, have that those prescriptions have what we call a P as in Paul um, attribute, meaning post year end. This one that I'm going to talk about today, first of all, spoiler alert, you know, I love that term. We already had a deep dive episode into it on episode three. Oh, now I know what you're going to say. Yeah, we had, we had a deep dive today. I'm going to talk more about from a 30,000 foot view and not get into the nuts and bolts of the strategy. This strategy could straddle two tax years. So it might be something that gets implemented in 2023 for 2022. But the time frame for the strategies is really based on a sale of a property. So, my favorite year-end purple diagnosis tax prescription is the 1031 exchange. The reason I like the 1031 exchange is that it's very multiple. 1031 exchange is one of those rare prescriptions that fits multiple color-coded diagnoses. Does it actually check on all four of them so the red green purple and gold no it does not but it checks on three of them it checks on the red diagnosis because you are getting you're avoiding paying the tax on the profit so you're you're in a high marginal tax rate purple tax deferral so you're deferring the tax that you would pay on a 1031 exchange and the reason it hits gold it's kind of a hidden uh benefit is the potential for tax-free income and growth. And you might say, Well, how's that possible? Hmm. Did you say how's that possible? Maybe you said it to yourself. I mean, I might have, I might have been thinking it out loud. And, oh, well, I might have hummed it. I, I hummed it. Okay, so maybe you hummed it. <laughs> so how's that possible? Well, we don't like to talk about morbid things here. So we're gonna assume that let's say you bought a property for a hundred thousand dollars, you depreciated it. You wrote off some of the cost of $25,000. So your cost basis is $75,000. You sell the property, you sell that property for $300,000. You take that $300,000, put it into a 1031 exchange. So no taxes paid. That property goes up in value and it's worth $600,000. Unfortunately, as you're dancing around celebrating, you get hit by a beer truck. Your beneficiaries then inherit that 1031 exchange property. They get to wipe the slate clean on all of the depreciation, all of the deferred capital gain, and start to depreciate or write off the cost of the property using that stepped up basis of $600,000. Let's assume this is a rental property. That was a very important thing I should have said. Mm -hmm. Well, what that means is that all of that tax deferred income goes away, and you have tax-free income, meaning Instead of that $300,000 acquisition cost of the the new property, your cost basis is now $600,000. I know that's a little complicated to understand, and that's why it's kind of a hidden benefit. The main benefit of 1031 Exchange is that taxable income deferral and allows you to deploy more cash into your next real estate investment. And that's a fantastic way of describing
0: Really, the implementation strategy of it. On the last podcast, I believe we we're saying it was episode three that we did, right around Halloween. That one goes into a lot of detail on really what a 1031 is and and how to really pursue them and plan mm-hmm. for them. Right, it's not just oh, you know, here's my cash, I sent my bank account, and here we go. Now we're looking for properties. There's a lot that goes into it, so we'll 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 save the ears this time about. You know, harping on it again. Um, be sure to check that one out if, if you're interested in this at all. Um, I think we even had somebody the other day say, so, "Wow, I've, I've done 1031s, and I didn't even know really all of that was really built into built into that process." So that was a great a great show.
1: I would say absolutely the 1031 exchange. We, you know, the only thing I'm going to mention is that the reason it could straddle a tax year, but we're we're saying usually they occur within the same year, is that you have. Uh, 180 days to execute the the transaction. And again, I would go back to episode three to get into the nuts and bolts. What I want to talk about is when would it make sense to do the 1031 exchange? Well, if you think your marginal tax rate is gonna be lower in the future than it is now, purple diagnosis. And guess what? If you were to keep the replacement property in a 1031 exchange and it goes into your estate, your marginal tax rate on that gain is then zero because of the step up in cost basis? Obviously, that's based on the tax laws, how the way they are written today. So, if you don't need the cash immediately from a transaction, a real estate transaction, you jump through all the hoops of doing a Section 1031 exchange. That's the section of the tax code that's so why we call it a 1031 exchange. And we know one mm-hmm. of the three laws of teaching tax flow is that is that um, tax agencies are your involuntary business partner, and tax laws are written to encourage and discourage certain behaviors. So. Hey, encourage that behavior of reinvesting. You don't need to pull that cash out. And, and if you want current income, then you can actually deploy that money into, a, into an income-producing property and, the, and take that, that income. You pay tax on that income, but you still pay tax on the net income from there. You could have some deductions. And with the 1031 exchange, what you're doing is your exchange, it has to be within real estate. You're exchanging like-kind property. So like-kind property is a pretty vague term. You could, you could sell a residential piece of real estate that was a rental property and invest in a different asset class and still complete the 1031 exchange. It could be a mobile home park investment. It could be commercial property. It could be, it could be anything that qualifies as quote-unquote like-kind within the IRS Code. So one question too, it, it, you know, you did mention
0: a moment ago to about the 180 days, right? So, and really choosing when is best or strategically placing, we should say, you know, which tax year you would most benefit from that 1031 exchange. So you have 180 days, correct? Is that what it was
1: to, to actually from start to finish ish or, or somewhere around there? And yes, you do. But there are many days that are very important. Um, There is a 45 day rule. So again, episode three is going to have all of the exact dates that you have to keep in mind. I think the important thing to remember is that if you're entertaining, engaging in a 1031 exchange, talk to your we talk about your board of directors all the time. your, Your centers of influence, talk to the people you're working with and make them aware that you are deeply considering a 1031 exchange before as much as possible before you close on the relinquished property or the property that you're selling. Cause you cannot take custody of the asset. You can't take custody of the net proceeds from the relinquished or sold property that has to go to a qualified intermediary. So don't stress about the 45 day rule, the 180 day rule, focus on does a 1031 exchange potentially make sense for me? I'm a purple diagnosis, maybe red diagnosis as well. The gold diagnosis benefits are just to add on. I fit that category and I'm going to engage in a 1031 exchange. There are times where someone opens a 1031 exchange with the intent of doing an exchange and it just doesn't work out and you have an unsuccessful 1031 exchange and then you just have to pay tax on whatever the capital gain and depreciation recapture is. So it, you know, that's why I like the strategy. Usually there's not a ton of expense associated with opening an exchange. Even if for some reason it falls through, and you can—the last thing I want to mention, because we are running a little short on time—the um, last thing I want to mention is that it doesn't have to be a one-for-one one situation. You—we've had several clients in our private practice sell one property and buy five, six, seven properties located in several different states. Hmm.
0: So there's a, there's obviously a lot of flexibility, and it's a, a vague term but flexibility with these 1031s. So is there any kind of closing notes that we may want to mention with this as as far as for
1: your favorite color Mm -hmm, is purple diagnosis? I would say, like I said before, I would say the, the most important thing to do is go through the process, diagnose. If you're that purple or red diagnosis, consider the 1031 exchange, just determine if you are your lifestyle or your situation requires you to have the cash at closing. And if it does not, then a 1031 exchange would make sense. If you're a if you're green diagnosis and you're a very low marginal tax rate, that's where I see sometimes people enter a 1031 exchange where there really wouldn't have been a big tax impact. You know, so maybe they have capital losses that could offset the capital gain. So you've got to go through that step three in our process, identify strategy, quantify result, IQ test, and run a pro forma talk to your tax professional. How much would it be? Or or jump into the TTF ecosystem. What would my tax be if I sold this property and did not do a 1031 exchange? That's step one. And determine if that tax warrants a red or purple diagnosis. Well, as always, here I am having more
0: questions. Because we've dive in, we've dove into this, even though we talk about this all the time, it's, there's always something else that's coming up. So that's really a, a fantastic feature. And really the way we craft some of the content in this podcast so we make it very relatable with bite-sized chunks as we might say that's why sometimes we cut a little short on some areas some take a little longer we have some great interviews that we've done some that are coming up um again if you have the opportunity we greatly appreciate it please share this with those in your network um we'd love to hear from everybody um again a, a great way to get a hold of us directly is through any of our social media channels um, obviously, teaching tax flow, you can search on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, as we really build out our our reach, as we should say, as as we really start to build and expand on our ecosystem. So as we bring in new partners with this, referral partners, it's it's ever-growing. ever growing. ever ever growing content, obviously built for
1: our audience. Um Chris, any final notes? I would say thank you for listening. We're excited to spread the word of tax planning and strategy to as many people as possible. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe with a five-star review. It would mean a lot to us. And have a great rest of the day. Excellent. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, everybody, for joining in once again on the Teaching Tax
0: Flow podcast. See you next week as we dive into gold and wrap up 2022. So thank you much, everybody. And we will see you next week.